0: What is up Brad fans? How you doing? First and foremost, mostly, how you living? How you doing? I hope you're all well. Thank you so much for being here. Second of all, let me just quickly apologize for the delay in getting these uh, episodes out. I know it's been a while. Um, not my intention to leave it this long, but life has hit us in a weird way over here in Germany, dealing with a landlord from hell uh, and some scheduling conflicts with some guests that I wanted to have on. So Bunch of things just came up at once and led to this delay. I apologize. I hope it doesn't happen again that we go this far between episodes because I've been working on this one for a while Uh, and it all started with me getting called a shill the other day. Can you believe it? You know, this guy even called me a leech. I mean, of course it was on Twitter. Uh, He said I was he was ashamed I was Alberta, Albertan rather, and that I should stay in Germany. Ooh, mean, I mean, hilarious, but yeah, mean, kind of a harsh thing to say to someone you don't know and who you have no idea what their motiva- motivations are or what their financials are. I mean, newsflash, I don't make a ton of money, so I could actually really use some of this alleged shill money that's flying around. But anyway, this young fella, I say young, he looked about my age. You know, I did the cursory amount of research on the dude's profile to determine if he was a bot. I don't believe he is. But anyway, this young fellow, this learned and eloquent individual, said all these mean things to me because I had the audacity to write a news summary about a story. Sorry, not even a story, about a study that concluded the deworming drug ivermectin does nothing for COVID-19 patients. (gasps) Can you believe it? that 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 alone uh entitles me to be called a leech um some of you may have heard of this drug as this guy did in the context of the pandemic uh and this guy is obviously way down down a wormhole pun intended uh because he was like i said angry about this specific article i wrote which i was i was asked to and yes paid to write by a medical news site that i work for regularly um, We we summarize uh, randomized control trials and other clinical studies and stuff. uh, And the audience is doctors, you know, doctors and healthcare professionals. So these are not articles I tweet about. They're not uh, something I, I throw out there to, you know, fans of this show or people who have followed some of the work that I've done for like more popular science magazines. This is not it. This is really boring stuff written in a very technical, straightforward manner. So this guy, the fact that this guy found it speaks to his internet behavior and that he felt the need to come at me speaks to how sad this use of the internet is. Because let's be real, unless you're a farmer, I mean, he may well be, or you're someone concerned with parasitic infections in developing nations, you really don't need to know a gosh darn thing about ivermectin. Now, of course... The pandemic has changed what info has become relevant to us and unfortunately thrust these things like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, graphs, modeling, all of these things into our everyday lives and conversations. And I get it. It's scary. We all want the info on how to be safe. And listen, we can find lots of fault with communications or policy or how this whole thing was dealt with, whatever. I've got time all day to talk about that. But the fact that people like young Kevin here, my Twitter antagonizer, the fact that they have become evangelicized to an anti-parasitic drug, it's too much. You know, unless he's getting shill money from an ivermectin producer, then all the power to you, bud. I mean, I guess it's kind of hypocritical to call me a shill if you're shilling, but I don't know. If he isn't getting the shilling money, though, then my message to him would be, slow down, dude. Spend some time with what looks like in your profile pic to be your family. Relax. Is there a global conspiracy to keep ivermectin from us and get us all sick from COVID-19? Probably not. But the good thing about this situation... Is that it gives us a chance to talk about the scientific process which is something that i try to do often but it's difficult to weave into a compelling story about scientific discovery you know to talk about the nuts and bolts of clinical trials and and all of these things but it's important not to forget that science is a method not a thing or a machine that just spits out results it's a method by which bits of data are generated and then which, if they hold to scrutiny over time, can begin to form foundations for theories and explanations how the world works, or what drugs work and which ones don't. And that's what I want to talk about today. The process of how we determine a drug treatment works, why we have this process, and hopefully along the way, authors offer some insight as to how to sift through all of the info that's good and bad that exists in the internet, so that we don't end up Uh, wasting our time on Twitter attacking people about the benefits of ivermectin and whether there's a global conspiracy by Big Pharma or the WHO or whoever to keep this from us. So well done, Kevin. Kevin from Twitter, you got some airtime. And you gave me the inspiration for this episode. And for that, I guess I owe you a beer. And speaking of beer, you can donate beer to the show. By going to our website, tobradforyou.wordpress.com. we've set up a donations page. I talked about it before. It's a, a buy me a coffee page, but we'll use it for beer. Let's be honest. Uh, and we've already received several donations, and for that, I want to thank you, thank you people for for doing that. Uh, we received donations from Van Daryl on Twitter. Thank you for the Father's Day message uh, and for your donation. I've received donations from. M Easton, Measton, on Instagram. If you're looking for quality woodworking or framing, or you're just interested in that kind of stuff, follow M Easton on Instagram. He's in the Calgary area, and he actually does really great work. This is not a paid uh, promotion. Uh, I know these people; they were kind enough to donate to my show, uh, so I want to give a shout out as to what they do. We also received a donation from Our Guitars, also in Calgary. Uh, And also on Instagram, at Our Guitars. If you have a stringed instrument that needs any kind of repair or love or tune-up or anything, check out Our Guitars. Probably the best guitar shop in in Calgary right now. No, not strike probably from that. The best guitar shop in Calgary uh, and area right now. Uh, I know there's a few other donations that, uh, were, were sent in to people that aren't on social media, so I don't want to blow up those people's uh, privacy, but I want to say thank you to everyone that has sent in a donation, uh, to the show. It means a lot, and I feel really bad that it took a long time to get a new episode out when, when people are, are kind enough to donate, showing that they want some content. So my apologies for that. Also on our website, tobradforyou.wordpress.com, you can find links to follow the show, to subscribe to the show on basically any podcast provider that you may use. You can comment there. You can also find uh, a link to our voicemail page, which is uh, speakpipe.com slash tobradforyou. But you don't have to worry about that. All you got to worry about is going to tobradforyou.wordpress.com. Everything you need is there. Go to that one spot. You can find links to our Twitter and Instagram at Two Brad for You, where you can also send us a message. Beyond your donations, I ask for your thoughts, your questions, your feedback. I want to hear from you. I want to incorporate that into the show. So please do get in touch uh, with whatever it is you want to talk about. All right. With that, let's turn back to the ivermectin COVID nineteen pandemic kerfuffle so the pandemic has turned many people in a way all of us into amateur clinicians epidemiologists virologists public health health experts on and on but you know very few few of us actually have training in these topics uh, let alone training in basic research how to conduct an experiment or a clinical trial what makes one study more convincing than another Because shocker, not all studies are are equal. Not all sources are equal. And the controversy around ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, for that matter, hinges really on the quality and quantity of data being generated regarding its use in COVID-19 patients. And let me stop right here and just say, I don't care if ivermectin works or not. Shockingly, I have no stake in this game. I, I don't have even really an opinion as to whether it works or not. That's not really the point of this episode. If it works, great. If it doesn't, cool. We just want to make sure that we know so that we don't give people something that doesn't work, that may harm them, side effects, or we waste our time chasing a dead end during a pandemic. But thankfully, we have a process for that. Clinical trials and the drug approval process, agencies like the FDA, or in Europe, the EMA, are all designed to help sort through this kind of a question. And guess what? They work pretty well. Not perfect, but you know, what system is? And this system and the rigorous protocols that are used to test and approve drugs that's in place today at agencies like the FDA were overhauled and beefed up to our new now modern standards in response to a drug scandal, a drug called thalidomide. You may have heard of it. Thalidomide was brought to market in Germany in 1957. The demand for sedatives was high at the time, and this one apparently did the trick. According to the manufacturer's safety tests, they couldn't find uh, really anything wrong with it. The doses that they were using uh, to try and kill a rat were, were really high, and they couldn't do it. So, hey, this drug is safe for everyone, including children and pregnant women. Then an Australian dude, a physician, noticed it was good at alleviating morning sickness in said pregnant women, so he started prescribing it to patients off-label. You may hear Henrik in the background squealing. Sounds like he's having a good time. So this is when a doctor, off-label, is when a doctor prescribes drugs for purposes other than what they are intended for or approve for and this in itself in and of itself is not negligent or anything nefarious it happens all the time at doctor's discretion still some rules surrounding when and when you can do it when you shouldn't do it but generally it's it's a it's a maybe we won't say common but it's it's a it's a it's an occurrence it's something that happens off label use of drugs it's actually currently the situation for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine in COVID patients. These drugs are not approved for these diseases. It's a new disease, so of course, you know, they're not. Um, I doubt that they've been approved for any respiratory infection, though. Uh, I could be wrong on that. But anyway, I digress. But this off-label use of thalidomide had terrible consequences. Consequences, As hundreds of children started being born with dramatic birth defects to their limbs, a condition called focomelia. in less sensitive terms. And uh, the way in which I was first introduced to the story as a child, flipper babies, these children were missing limbs or had severely shortened and flattened ones. And it was thalidomide that was messing up development in the womb. So of course there was a scandal, but there was one country that was largely unaffected because it had not approved the drug. Thalidomide was never approved in the US because of a woman named Frances Kelsey, an inspector who, despite pressure from her supervisors and drug companies, refused to approve it. Why? She didn't trust the quality of the data. Now in the 1950s, clinical trials didn't need FDA approval and weren't subject to oversight the drug thalidomide was given to around 20,000 patients and roughly 151 and roughly 1,000 physicians, excuse me, were involved in the trials. But very few actually tracked their patients after giving it to them. Kelsey was also concerned that there was no available study showing whether the drug crossed the placenta or not. Anyway, this whole thalidomide situation led to the passing of the Kefauer-Harris Drug Act in 1962, which increased the standards and tightened restrictions around drug approval. So you can still use thalidomide today, of course, but only in very specific circumstances. And this brings us back to ivermectin. Ivermectin is an approved drug for uh, many conditions involving parasites mostly. It was first developed for animals uh, and then got approval for humans. So now guys like Kevin will tell you that ivermectin isn't getting approved for COVID-19 because of a conspiracy between Big Pharma, the lovely catch-all unspecific boogeyman, and the WHO, or the government, or Epstein, or I don't know. But how does he come to this conclusion? Well, there are studies. There are studies. Look at the studies showing that it works. Never mind that I wrote about a study that said it didn't work. Uh, Kevin was apparently well-versed enough in clinical trial design to decide that the study opposing his viewpoint was flawed and therefore not real. And let's be perfectly honest, all studies have flaws. And for almost every issue, there will be some studies that say one thing and others that say the opposite. Remember, science is a method of generating data that needs to be put into context with other data. And importantly, the context of when, where, and how the study was done. So very quickly for those who don't know, and a refresher for everyone else, the gold standard of an individual study is the randomized control trial. You take a group of patients who are as similar as possible, so that comparisons between them you know, make sense. It doesn't make sense to compare 80-year-old people with cancer to healthy 20-year-olds. And then you randomly assign these people to receive one treatment versus another or a treatment versus a placebo. Then you see what happens. People from both groups will get better and people from both groups won't. But what you look for is a statistically significant number of people getting better in the group, given the treatment you are testing. If you see this and you repeat it enough times, you get confidence that this treatment works better than placebo which is nothing, or the treatment, the other treatment that the other group received, your comparative group. This, however, also has the caveat in that it only shows that it works in the type of people you tested. So you would have to increase the sample size of patients and include more and more diverse people, uh, diverse in age, health history, ethnicity, all that before you could broadly say that a drug works all the while you're also cataloging side effects and seeing if there are more in the test group versus the placebo and in how bad those are. You know, this gives you the ability to safely and wisely approve a drug. But of course, any individual study will always have some kind of flaws. Yeah, we usually call them confounders uh or biases. Uh for example, if you uh, the people the people who uh, volunteer for a clinical trial uh, may have a specific motivation to do so, uh, and that might bias your sample towards these kind of people that's um That's an issue in some of the psychedelic stuff that I talk about. Uh, if you're recruiting people for your clinical trials through um, a emergency room uh, at a hospital, for example. Same thing. Are those people, what are their insurance levels? That's, that's a big uh, big one in a place like the U.S. Uh, do they have a family physician that they might go to uh, uh, instead, right? And then that way, those people going to a family doctor won't be included in the study because they're less likely to go to an emergency room. Why might people go to an emergency room? Well, maybe they have, like I said, less uh, insurance coverage, uh, which might indicate um, even some, some poorer health you know, or comorbidities or something like that. So there's all these confounders uh, and biases that are are part of any study. And all studies are the good ones anyway. List those. They talk about those. They say, hey, this this was a a weakness. This was a uh, limitation. How did we address that? And they try to provide evidence from other studies, comparisons to other studies to say it either is a big problem or it's not a problem. That's all normal. All very normal. And that's randomized controlled trial. That's an individual study that, that, that is a good piece of it, one good piece of evidence. Now, when you have a bunch of these uh, randomized controlled trials all looking at a similar thing, a similar drug, for example, you can then do what's called a meta analysis Of all the known trials and data uh, of your subject of interest and these are sort of the next level up once once a bunch of randomized control trials have been done people start to do meta-analyses of all these trials and these offer you know an even more compelling uh, argument for uh, the 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 success or the 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 effectiveness uh, of the drug you're looking at so these meta-analyses Uh, compile all of the results from the trials uh, and they look at the size of the effect and the statistical significance. However, these two of course have caveats and they're quite tricky actually. Uh, Just like there are confounders in the individual study, reducing the strength of a comparison, in a meta-analysis you get these individual confounders and confounders of comparing the studies together. So confounders on confounders. So one has to be really careful in doing these things and interpreting these things. And oftentimes, the authors of these meta-analyses use predefined uh, stats, sort of the, the, what, the, what the scientific community has said. These are the sort of gold standard of stats uh, and different scales. To rate the quality of evidence. So, if you're looking at a meta analysis, you should always look for what is the quality of evidence. They will say usually low quality, moderate quality, high quality. Um, They'll use terms like what is the heterogeneity between studies. So, basically, that just means how different were the studies being compared uh, in the meta analysis. So, if you have a lot of heterogeneity between studies, that's going to weaken the strength of the conclusion that you can draw because the studies weren't really that similar. Um, You might also see them um, analyze the risk of bias. So what is the risk of bias? And like I said, selection bias, or it's tough to rate the risk of bias from the uh, personal authors. So a lot of times people see, people like uh, the, the Twitter folks will see oh, well, this author uh, ha- was had a grant from uh, a, a pharmaceutical company, therefore he's biased. Not necessarily. I mean, maybe, but not necessarily. Uh, funding, unfortunately, has to come uh, from different places for these things. They're very expensive to run uh, these trials. And pharmaceutical companies often help fund them. It's just the way it is. And when you're working with doctors who do clinical research, they oftentimes have also worked with pharmaceutical companies. It's just, it would be weird if they didn't, you know? <laughs> so uh, doesn't necessarily mean they're biased. Obviously, it can look bad. Um, but the other thing to look for is whether these studies are peer-reviewed, right? And this is something we've talked about on the podcast before. The Uh, peer review versus preprint right so when a study has gone through peer review it has been reviewed by other experts in the field and deemed of a certain quality to be published in said scientific journals so if there was major biases uh by 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 someone working from a pharmaceutical company then the data wouldn't be of good quality right uh and that would be found out in the peer review process you know, so there's, there's checks here. It's not like just because someone has an affiliation with a pharmaceutical company, therefore they're lying about the the, the stats that come. They still have to show their work. They still have to show the numbers behind how they got to what they got to. So there's that. Now, a preprint hasn't gone through those check processes yet. So we need to be wary when we look at preprints. So when it comes to Ivermectin, that was my 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 bit on the the how the science works, how you do the science, and this is all what's required uh in order to uh get a drug approved. The approval bodies will look at the meta-analyses, the individual trials, uh what types of studies have been done uh in order to then grant approval for this a drug, any drug for a specific condition. So yes, when it comes to ivermectin and COVID, yes, there are studies. There are studies. There are a growing number of studies uh, every day. There's more and more studies coming out. Uh, Some show that it works. Some say that it doesn't. And now there are a few doctors who have become the sort of face of the campaign to approve ivermectin. And they are attempting to get this approval. They are pushing for this approval. Now, here is where the politicization, conspiracy, whatever you want to call it, lunacy, begins. Because the question is really, why has ivermectin, and you know, some of these other things, not gotten approval? Is it a conspiracy to suppress the miracle drug? Which, I, I mean, I don't know why desperate go- governments who are desperate to get out of the pandemic would do that, uh, the most common refrain is that the the drugs are now off patent, meaning companies can't make them. So big pharma is suppressing their use so that their treatments, namely vaccines, uh, can make all the money. Again, I'm not even sure big pharma has deep enough pockets to convince a government to prolong the most economically and politically devastating event of our lifetimes. And the the idea that uh, vaccines are being promoted more than you know a, a drug that potentially reduces your chances of dying and potentially maybe kind of could be used as a prophylactic, meaning that if you take it before you get COVID, you're less likely to get COVID. The fact that that would be that vaccines would be prioritized lower then that drug is just ridiculous. Vaccines are the best uh, way to get out of this pandemic. It's it's the only way to, you know, prevent large people, large amounts of people from getting it to get to that sort of herd immunity threshold that you've all heard about, to stop the chains of transmission, to provide long-lasting immunity where you don't have to take a drug every day. Like, it's just the idea that they're promoting vaccines for money over over these other things is just ridiculous it's vaccines are a better option we want to have those rather than just you know maybe some drugs that might work and that you would have to take all the time in order to be safe or they you take them and 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 they might uh give you a better chance of surviving like it's just it doesn't make sense vaccines are the way to go it's it's the far better solution so that's why they get prioritized uh not because of money i mean yes there's money to be made but it's just it's just the better thing to do from a public health uh standpoint i've also seen that it's a conspiracy to kill a bunch of people you know some people believe that too which i I don't even think i really need to touch that you know that the government uh whatever lizard people whoever you want to say gates bill gates is you know suppressing uh the, the use of these drugs and trying to keep them from us because they want to kill a bunch of people, population control or something like that. Yeah. No. So, again, is it a global conspiracy to suppress a miracle? Probably not. Because like I just said, there's, there's other very obvious answers to some of those conspiracy theories, and there's another very obvious answer to why it hasn't gotten approval yet. And that is that the studies have not yet met the very high threshold needed to get approval. The fact that it it, it isn't approved yet, or that some of these studies supporting them are being retracted, some of the studies have been retracted, some of the studies in support of ivermectin have been retracted, that doesn't de facto mean, oh my god, censorship conspiracy. In fact, it looks very much like how the regulatory process that was beefed up after solidamide is designed to work and this was summarized in a med page today article way back in January which don't feel bad if you don't know that publication it's it's like the place that I write medical articles for it's meant for healthcare professionals but here's the deal the powers that be and lots of doctors don't think the quality of the studies all of the studies all of the studies about ivermectin they don't think that they're up to stuff. the The reasons that that they cite for that are the sample sizes are often really low. Uh, oftentimes, patients are getting ivermectin alongside of several other treatments, so who knows what's actually doing the benefit? Uh, the other treatments those what you would call you know what we talked about before confounding factors within the same patient, so it makes it really hard to know what's going on. Is it ivermectin? Is it is it the fact that they were in the hospital early or you know, they came to the hospital late or they were also getting oxygen? They were also getting uh, any number of the treatments that they were getting. Um, some of these studies are not even randomized control trials at all. They're what we call observational or cohort studies. And in the hierarchy of studies, observational and cohort studies are less definitive than randomized control trials. And this is because they're based on things like a doctor's observations of the patients they've treated, or looking at medical records of groups of people who receive different treatments, uh, and then judging their, their outcomes. So again, those are useful. They're not trash studies just because, you know, they're, they're not randomized controlled trials. And they play a role in making decisions. But those alone are not enough to get approval for a medication observational uh, studies, cohort studies, these are usually the type of studies that that triggers someone to say, hey, there's something going on here, and we should uh, pursue it with more rigorous randomized controlled trials. And guess what? That's what's happening with ivermectin. There is at least two large randomized controlled trials underway right now involving repurposed drugs, so drugs that are approved for other things, and they're testing them uh, on, on COVID patients, including ivermectin, which, when they're complete, will help lead us to a more informed decision. So conspiracy or regular regulatory process that unfortunately moves slowly? I know where I'm placing my chips. So within the context of knowing how and why we have a regulatory process, this lack of approval looks way less sinister. Now, we can argue about the process all day. That's constructive. For example, some of the doctors uh, that are pushing for ivermectin say, we don't have time in a pandemic to wait for approval. Or they say, it wouldn't be ethical for us to run a randomized controlled trial uh, knowing what we know about ivermectin. The idea there being that it wouldn't be fair to or ethical to give a placebo to somebody uh, who is suffering from COVID-19 when ivermectin is so, in their mind, uh, effective at treating the disease. But the thing is, the data doesn't show that yet. The data doesn't show that yet. There's signs that it could be what they say it is, but you can't. Do we really want uh the approval process to be you know shortened and uh you know maybe corners cut because you know we're in this stressful situation of a pandemic and then just based on a couple doctors who say that it works i I don't know i mean again this is where we could have the discussion you know what should it get emergency use approval or not does it need to get full approval or should we just sort of Go through the emergency use approval, which yes does shorten the the amount and the amount of time it takes and the amount of data needed um, to get something approved in an emergency. That's a question. That's a conversation we can have. Ivermectin has a history of use in people, so we know a lot more about the harms. We know uh, what what kind of dosages you should and shouldn't take. Uh, but there's also data out there that's showing that it doesn't work for COVID. Uh if we if we abandon the regulatory process and just put your hopes in something uh, because you know, some signs say that it might work, you could end up giving a bunch of people a useless drug that, even though we know a lot about the side effects, it still has side effects, uh, but also they're not going to get any benefit. So it's all risk, no reward. Uh, unfortunately, the situation in Brazil was kind of a, Uh, An example of this, Uh, the outbreak in Manaus that was really bad, uh, it was either late 2020 or earlier this year, the government there, say what you will about them, decided to um, prioritize these sort of unproven, unapproved uh, batches of drugs and give them to people or encourage people to take those rather than sort of Um, implement, you know, tried and true uh, social distancing measures or shutdowns of public places and, uh, you know, stocking up on things like oxygen and stuff like this. And it went really badly. A lot of people got sick, which is also, again, not a definitive uh, study, but you could look at, say, an observational study or probably a, um, a cohort study, a retrospective cohort study, and say, well, did did that group of drugs that they were they were giving people in Manaus did it work or not? They still had a really large outbreak, so it doesn't look like it did much. And there was um, reports of people getting you know liver disease from taking too much drugs because they were just like, this is, you know, this drug's going to protect me. It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna prevent me from getting COVID, uh, and then they take take a lot of it and and get sick. So. There's also the argument that that doing that uh, leads to a false sense of security. You tell people, "Oh, just take these drugs and you're fine," you know, uh, and that they will do. Then they might behave in more risky ways, uh, not wear masks, that kind of thing. I mean, maybe that's a bit of a shaky argument for me as well, but it's one. It's an argument. So that's really the question. That's what. That's where we should be focusing our attention is. What is. Is the approval process too stringent in a case like this or not? Not conspiracy to get Big Pharma to sell all their vaccines. And I have to say that I don't doubt the sincerity of some of the doctors who are madly pushing for uh, ivermectin to be used. I, I, I. I believe that they believe it's good for their patients. Uh, But the fact remains that this is just like your opinion, man, the powers that be for better or for worse have said that the data is not enough. And the powers that be we've, we've relied on those standards for years. Like I said, since, since the little since that tragedy, we've built this system to be robust, to avoid situations, situations like that. So you have a group of people, a small group of people saying they don't believe that 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 the powers that be are right. And sort of everyone else saying, hey, let's do the work. Let's do the studies. Let's, let's figure it out. And then if it works, it works. And those doctors who are out there, you know, pushing for this, uh, they have done a lot of work. They've done some studies. Like I said, there's criticisms as to how robust those studies are. And the thing is, is that they're like, there's not, no one's preventing that. Those, those studies can keep going. And like I said, there's at least two big uh, randomized control trials going on right now. So it's not like the studies are being suppressed. Now, again, I've seen people say, well, well, uh, uh, big pharma won't pay for it. Big pharma is not, not paying for a study for ivermectin. And well, yeah, The the drug companies, the big drug companies that have all the money that could pay for a clinical trial don't have a patent on ivermectin anymore. So they have no commercial interest to do so. Now, is that, again, a conspiracy or is that just our system of capitalism? Why would a company that has no stake in the profit put up millions and millions of dollars to do that out of the goodness of their heart? I mean, it would be great if they did, but do you honestly expect that to happen and that not happening? Is that a sign of some nefarious conspiracy or is it just a sign of the way our system has been built? And again, we can have a discussion on that. We can have a discussion on is that the right way to, to, to fund drug research? Is that the right way to fund our health system in a for-profit model? I have some thoughts on that. I'm sure many people do but it's not evidence of a conspiracy. Now, the other thing that, that, that is brought up in this whole thing is that these doctors are being silenced, you know? Unfortunately, some of the doctors, even if they are uh, genuine in their belief, uh, have inadvertently or purposefully used language that stokes the flames of anger and conspiracy, and that is not good. And that has been happening in this pandemic uh, so much to the point that our social media services have started to clamp down on some of that. And again, that's a point of argument. We could argue about whether they should or they shouldn't. Uh, But doctors, I think, should understand the context in which they are throwing this information out into this hyper- Uh, uh, scared sort of sensitive situation and maybe tone down the bold claims maybe acknowledge that there's a there's a there's a regulatory process that needs to play out Uh, maybe Facebook isn't the place to present your data maybe uh, you know bringing it to the meeting the standards uh, of the of the approval process and bringing it there and letting it play out there Putting pressure on those people there, maybe that's the way to go. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe drawing a bunch of media attention to it is the only way that that it would get changed. I doubt it. I mean, there's like I said, the studies are happening every day. They're going on. It's not like it's not like it's not happening. Um, unfortunately, some of these doctors too have a history of making bold claims with insufficient evidence that don't end up holding to scru- holding up to scrutiny. So. Some of these people are not helping the cause. And by screaming about, you know, conspiracy to silence them and all of that, it 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 makes it worse. And it makes people like our Twitter friend, Kevin, get sucked into these, these wormholes. And I can only imagine the frustration and the stress of the doctors that are dealing with a pandemic and a slow-moving regulatory body. I know. I can imagine. But that process, that slow-moving process, as, as good... Uh, And also, as flawed as it is, is preventing us from getting flipper babies. And that is a good thing. And we need it. The other problem here is that some of these people in these camps are straight-up grifters. I'm looking at you, herbal remedy and anti-vax people. And when the doctors, some of the doctors, are inflaming the situation by talking about silencing and conspiracy and all of this stuff... They get the people, like I said, like Twitter, Kevin, all riled up and off on it on a wormhole in social media, uh, which is, again, why the Twitter companies, the, the social media companies are trying to stop this, because this is where they then run into the grifters. This is where they run into the herbal remedy folks, the anti-vax people, uh, and they can get really uh, off the beaten track to the point where they're, you know, calling me a leech on Twitter, but also to the point where they are using, you know, really bogus herb- herbal remedies, just straight up shit that doesn't work, uh, and avoiding uh, vaccines, things that will keep them really safe. And these grifters, they'll use anything. Like I said, any anything that's that that's coming from a doctor that's maybe less than carefully worded, uh, they will latch onto and they will use it. Uh, to 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 create the specter of big pharma uh, as we've as we've discussed and this is what the grifters want they want you to be distracted uh they don't want they don't want to to look at crimin, uh, clinical trials because rumor revenues don't don't pass clinical trials they don't work and just as a quick aside if herbal remedies work like if the idea is that like oh there's all this stuff in nature that you know ancient societies knew about and have been using for ages um but then uh we all got tricked into taking synthetic versions of those uh just so that other people could make money well The herbal remedy people still make money. So there's still a financial incentive. So that kind of like cancels out. Uh, Also, if the herbal remedy stuff was so effective, you know, why did, you know, all the rates of disease drop when we started using synthetic pharmaceuticals? It's not like the, you know, Native American peoples were uh, free of disease. It's not like medieval Europe was free of disease. You know, it just they, they didn't work. You know that's why we invented other ones that actually worked. You know, if 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 back in the day, like you would have to be a hell of a salesman to back in the day say, oh yeah, we have all of these things that work fine. Uh, no one's getting sick. Uh, all of this stuff, you don't die uh, from stepping on a nail or cutting your foot uh, from a from a bacterial infection or have your your leg amputated during the Civil War uh, from a from a being grazed by a bullet you know, that, that, that's not really a big problem because we have all these herbal, herbal remedies. But then you have someone who comes along and says, oh, yeah, but I got something that that works better. Works better than something that's already working. Like, it just it doesn't make sense. Anyway. But that's exactly it. These people don't want you to talk about data, and they don't want you to talk about regulation. They want to scare you into buying their snake oil. And just, you know, to kind of wrap this episode up, I want to talk a little, about, a little bit about how to sort through the bullshit. First off, you need to look at who's telling you your information. As we've seen before, as I've mentioned, doctors can be hyperbolic in their statements. So if it's a doctor you're following on social media or YouTube or whatever, still take a moment to consider how hyperbolic the claim sounds. If they start talking about conspiracy uh, to silence them and... I have the miracle cure for COVID and stuff. Unfortunately, it's just probably not true because it doesn't work that way. No one single doctor can treat enough patients in enough clinical trials to say this definitively works. Now, they can say, I am seeing a trend. I am observing that this works and we need to take a hard look at it. And people are saying that. You know, there's reasonable doctors out there saying it. Like I said, unfortunately, the hyperbolic shit means that our Blunt force social media tools are maybe, you know, silencing everybody. And that is a as a problem. That's something we could talk about. But you should also seek out other opinions. MedPage Today or Medscape are two medical news sites. I'll link to them in the show notes. That, uh, yeah, they're a bit technical, but they're good sources. You know, they're meant for doctors. So this is where the doctors would go to get their news. Stat News is also Uh, As I've mentioned uh, numerous times, a great uh, magazine that covers uh, biomedical stuff. Um, And like I said, maybe your source means well, but it's not providing the whole context or just doesn't really know what they're talking about. Comedians on podcasts, for example. You all know who I mean. The man with the largest podcast on the planet, Joe Rogan. He often talks about these things with zero context and only from one side, whether it's ivermectin vitamin d vaccines lockdowns whatever you know the 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 comments that that he made about vaccines that got a lot of uh, attention where it's like if you're healthy you you don't need a vaccine you probably don't need to take it if you're a young healthy healthy person you probably don't need the covid vaccine it's like yeah from an individual level that kind of makes sense You know, I mean, it's still risk reward and the risk of the vaccine is way lower than the risk of getting COVID, even if you're a young, healthy person. But sure, fine. You could make that individual uh, judgment. But the context that's lacking there is that the vaccines work because it's a group thing. You know, you're protecting other people by getting it you're doing a, your part to to say hey I'm part of society and I want to I want to help out and and get this problem down. You're not just saying, well, it doesn't work for me and I I don't need it so, you know, whatever. That's an important uh context to leave out when you're talking about vaccines. So, as an aside, I personally I've listened to a lot of Joe Rogan and I don't think he's a grifter and I do see value in the show. He has guests on there that are highly intelligent, you know, well, Respected experts in different fields, um, but don't get your medical advice from Joe's opinion, because that's what it is—it's opinion. And yeah, he's kind of a well-read guy that knows a lot and talks to a lot of people. But the fact that, like I said, he can leave out this very important context and things, and 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 just present this—you know—the other one I saw was the lockdowns uh, in Canada and this church. Oh, he's the Canadian police sent all of these. Uh, uh, like 200 officers to close down this church. It's like, well, yeah, but that church had been violating the public health orders for months, like throwing it in the face of of the authorities. They were given ample, ample uh, opportunities to comply with the rules without it coming to this. They also organized this rally that they themselves said had elements of people that they didn't want there. So people from far-right groups, racist groups, all of that stuff. So yeah, it wasn't just the cops going after a church. There was other things going on there. So if if you can leave out that context, then you have to be careful uh, when taking the opinion of that person. Just an aside there. I still listen to some Joe Rogan when there's a, a cool guest on that I, that I like, and I do listen to some of the ones that challenge my opinions, uh, but this is what I find uh, most frustrating, and what f- what frustrates a lot of the people I know that have stopped listening is that there's the yeah, there's this lack of context. Um, you know, does does Joe Rogan know the difference between an observational study or a prospective pers- cohort study, or a meta or a meta analysis of several studies? No, I don't think so. Why would he? He's a comedian. Why would you? That's the point. It takes a lot to go through this type of data and make these decisions, and we have systems in place that do that, that we have relied upon for decades to great success. The emergency, the urgency rather, of the pandemic does not mean we should throw all that away. It has heightened emotions and along with other factors brought a lot of tension and mistrust to our daily lives, but we should try and prevent our babies from ending up in the gutter along with the bathwater, if you know what I mean. And finally, when you're reading something online, just do a little bit of research as to what the site or the publication is. Are you reading something from Big Herbal? You know, what might their stake be? We talk about Big Pharma. What about Big Herbal? It's also a billion dollar industry. Herbal remedies and vitamins and the rest of it. So what might their stake be? They would like to present themselves as this sort of like mom and pop, nip back to the earth, nature sort of small thing but it's not it's a huge industry and they have a lot of financial incentive because they're not they're not burdened by the regulatory process cuz they don't do it so are you reading something from from a publication or a company that does that are you reading something from someone who has a history of of grifting does the article even have an author if there isn't if there's no what we call byline at the top of the piece Could indicate that no one wants to stake their reputation on the piece. And always, always click on the links to the studies that these websites cite or make claims about. I've talked about this before when, again, the miracle cure herbal people purposefully misrepresent data or just straight up lie. And they'll put a link, but most people don't click on the link. So you just think, oh, well, they link to it. So then it it must be it. Uh, They can they can It makes it look like, yeah, there's a citation, Uh, makes it look legit. And then you click on the link and it's either dead or it goes to something unrelated or obviously uncredible. I talked about this when we did the episode on the electromagnetic radiation and the things you can put on your computer to protect you from electromagnetic radiation coming from your devices, which doesn't, it's not a problem, it's not harmful. Uh, there's a bunch of bogus links in the in the ad that was sent to me from that. Uh, and here's an an example uh, from an article I saw on biznews. dot com that I found among the uh, this was being circulated among the ivermectin shills, Twitter Kevin. Uh, sorry, I mean concerned citizens online. So the article overall, this biz news article is about a conspiracy against our ivermectin. Yeah, so right there, kind of a hyperbolic claim, says that WHO and all these other places either ignore or don't understand that the data is in favor of ivermectin. The article says, uh, quote, in January this year, the several months long ivermectin research meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials commissioned by WHO was released the paper showed that ivermectin reduces death by 74% and is 85% effective as as a prophylactic. Now, you click on the link associated with this and it brings you to a government page called clinicaltrials.com. This is a page where you can see all of the registered clinical trials and find find out about their design, the status of the trial, the funding, uh, all of that. The study that this link brings you to, though does not have any published results yet and does not anywhere say that ivermectin reduces death by the percentages claimed. It says there are no results yet posted and that the trial ended on March 15th. So I'm assuming we will eventually see the results, but I can't find the figure of where they're getting the 74 to 85% number. Not a good look for biznews.com. The article goes on to say, quote, the trial leader, Dr. Andrew Hill, was on Zoom meetings saying that governments should secure, should secure their source before demand outstrips supply and that it would be immoral not to roll it out, end quote. Now, believe it or not, Andrew Hill is not listed as an author anywhere I can see on the clinicaltrials.gov page. The trial is being run in Argentina and there is no Andrew Hill in the contact details anywhere. Now. They have a link on the name Andrew Hill, and if we click on that, we do get a meta-analysis. I'm assuming the one that they were originally talking about, uh, which says that in the trials included, there was a 75% reduction in mortality. But, let's put that number in context. This meta-analysis has not been peer-reviewed, therefore it has not been checked. The website hosting this preprint itself has the disclaimer that says, quote, this is a preprint, a preliminary version of a man- manuscript that has not completed peer review at a journal. Research Square, that's the website hosting it, does not conduct peer review prior to posting preprints. The posting of a preprint on this server should not be interpreted as an endorsement of its validity or suitability for dissemination as established in- information or for guiding clinical practice pretty big bit of uh context that biz news decided to leave out uh if we look a little closer at the abstract of this analysis meta-analysis which is the summary of the paper um and it's written by the by the very authors of the paper. So it's not like this is now the website that I just quoted saying, hey, we don't take responsibility for what this is. This is the words of the authors of the meta-analysis. It says, quote, many studies included were not peer-reviewed, and meta-analyses are prone to confounding issues. Ivermectin, should be validated in larger, appropriately controlled, randomized trials before the results are sufficient for review by regulatory authorities. Boom. There you go. They said themselves the studies they included in their meta-analysis were not peer-reviewed. Therefore we cannot they they have a, a mark against them in terms of their validity or the, the robustness of their data they acknowledge that meta-analyses are prone to confounding issues and Ivermectin should be validated in larger, more appropriate trials before the re- regulatory authorities review them which guess what is happening and guess what it's slow process it's a slow process and that's what this whole podcast is about so after applying some context to a 75% figure and all of this shoddy interpretation around it by biznews.com, it seems less likely that there is a conspiracy against ivervec- ivermectin and that there is simply not enough data yet. Now, I just saw the other day uh, uh, from this group of doctors that called like the Frontline Care COVID something. Uh, they tweeted about another meta analysis that has been done. Uh, that said there is moderate quality of evidence that, uh, ivermectin, uh, when given to COVID patients, um, reduces the chances of death. That is a good sign. Like I said, if ivermectin works great. I am not saying, you know, I'm against looking at ivermectin. The point is it's being looked at. It's being looked at. And it's, And the process is slow. And the process is slow and and, and the bars are set high because we've had historical failures (laughs) in this arena before. And it is a very important arena to get right. Otherwise, yes, we end up with thalidomide tragedies. So I know everyone's scared. I know uh, tensions are running high. But this stuff is in no way... Uh, political and shouldn't be political and it's becoming politicized. and that is the problem. That is the point of this podcast is to try and separate the bullshit from what is actually going on uh, and and to say that we shouldn't dismantle and 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 totally circumvent the the systems that we have put in place to protect us against fraudulent claims about drugs and just, the dangerous side effects and consequences of, of drugs and vaccines. And I know people are out there going to say, well, the vaccines were rushed through the clinical process, so, so well, you know, what's this? And it's, they weren't. They just weren't. You know, they met all of the criteria needed that were set out. Ivermectin has not yet met that criteria. Now, again, we can talk about funding issues. We can talk about, uh, you know, is the emergency use threshold um, too high in a, in a global pandemic? Those are things we can talk about, but we cannot let ourselves get distracted, uh, you know, by the herbal remedy anti-vax people, and also by this. There's a conspiracy to silence us about this wonderful drug um, by Big Pharma, and that they just want to vaccinate you rather than give you an alternative. No. The health authorities want us to get vaccinated because it is the best and probably only way to get the pandemic under control. Even if ivermectin says what they say it does, it won't get the pandemic under control. It will just prevent people from dying. People will still catch it. You will still spread it. Vaccines help us eliminate the spread. That's it. I think I've gone on enough about this. Uh there's so many issues in the pandemic that are that have become poly- politicized when they shouldn't be um it's kind of driving me nuts uh, to see some of these you know doctors or podcasters with you know academic credits and stuff going down this hyperbolic pathway when I would hope that they would be able to see that you know there there's there's context there's there's reasons why. Uh, the 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 things that they're running the roadblocks they're running up against in their quest to do what they believe is right for their patients uh, are coming up, and it's not. It doesn't have to be a hyperbolic conspiracy from big tech, big pharma, whatever. It's it's the process. It's the way it goes. So, again, my thanks to Twitter, Kevin, for calling me a calling me a leech and and hoping that I never come back to Alberta because. It gave me this episode. It gave us a chance to do this. And like I said, it gave you, I hope it gave you a chance to to understand a bit more about how the regulatory process works, why there's a, a strong threshold uh, to, to meet, how that gets met when you're looking at a randomized control trial, a meta-analysis, what are confounders, how, how to read those, how to interpret the, the language there, uh, and some tips on how to avoid the, the bullshit online. So with that, I'll end it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I love you guys. If you want to donate to the show, go to twobradforyou.wordpress.com. There's a link to our Buy Me a Coffee page. I may buy coffee. I'll probably buy beer. Actually, the donations go to Keeping the Lights On, website, hosting, uh, the hosting of the episodes, all that kind of stuff. It helps out. Um 2 also has uh, our email address. You can write us a message. Our voicemail box, you can leave us a voicemail. Uh, our Twitter and Instagram pages, you can follow us or, and DM me uh, on there. I want to hear what you guys are thinking. I want to hear your reaction to this episode. I want to hear your questions, if you have any questions. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts about life in the pandemic, about science, technology. What's something that you saw that, that that's really cool? uh, in the, in the science world, even if, you know, it doesn't have to do with science. I'm open to opening the floor to you guys to, uh, take part in the show. Um, you can also subscribe to the podcast, which is a big thing. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Never miss an episode. Uh, it helps get us more visibility. Uh, if you do that, it helps if you leave a comment, uh, wherever you're getting your podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, people. Uh, I hope this was helpful and i'm doing my best to make sure that we don't go so long between episodes thank you people thank you for listening we'll catch you next time